How do you start leveraging money so you can start buying back some of your time? Leverage. You said it. Leverage. Right? And in the beginning, it's always going to be trading time for money. It's always going to be that. There's got to be, and I don't like saying a sacrifice, but it's got to be an investment for a certain period of time where then the effort you then put in is now going to take over and continue to pay you. Right? I like to say residual income. It comes in monthly whether you work or not, but you have to put in the time. You still have to put in the work. It's a compound amount of effort at a time that will then pay you the rest of your life. So if you're not leveraging, right, whether it be marketing or a business model that's paying you or some type of sales business, sales job, sales is the best industry to be in. But if you're not doing those things, then you're, you're basically just going to trading time from the rest of your life. This podcast is brought to you by King's Council Coaching. The mission of the King's Council is to help you discover, develop, and deploy your God-given talents and abilities. In order to leave a legacy, you need to live your legacy of excellence through the five power pillars, mental, emotional, physical, spiritual, and financial. Now, our programs are specifically designed to give you the blueprint and strategies that you need to gain an edge in the most important areas of your life. If you're an entrepreneur ready to upgrade your finances and align yourself with other powerful kingdom-minded men and women, visit kingscouncilcoaching.com to start your legacy of excellence today. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Chosen Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb Spittler, Director of Member Relationships here at the King's Council. And this week we have Brad Abbott with us. Brad, awesome to have you on the show, brother. Likewise, man. I appreciate the time and uh, the opportunity to get a chat with you a little bit. Absolutely. Well, Brad is a husband, father of three. I know you have twins. You're also a lifestyle investor in the financial services field. I think a lot of people maybe know some of that stuff, but let's actually start with what initially drew you to King's Council. How did you get involved in King's Council in the first place? That is actually a, I guess, not really crazy story, but it's pretty funny to say the least. My wife actually came across an ad on the, I think it was Facebook is what she came across. And she was like, well, I think we should fly to Texas and go to this event. I think it's, you know, it's great. It's written by one of the people we know. We'll just fly down there and see what happens. And I was totally against it. I was like, I've been to so many of those things. I don't, you know, I don't want to go to another one, fly across town, waste my time. I need to focus on what I'm doing, right? I told her no. She's like, we well, already bought them. So we're going to go anyway. And I was like, we'll go. If that's what you want to do, we'll go and I'll be with you and we'll do it. That's how we originally just went to the event. Was that the CEO of your life event in Frisco that we first met at? Yep, that was the one, yeah. Okay, I didn't know the backstory. Well, hey, obviously I know you work in the financial services field. We're probably going to get into that quite a bit. But why don't you give us a little bit of backstory on how you got to be at that place, you know, your growing up years and kind of some of the things that have shaped you into who you are today. Finance isn't that the field that everyone wants to go into, right? It's not a... Like, oh, I want to grow up and be, uh, you know, working money, you know, because it's not something we think about. We want to be a firefighter. We want to we wanna fly a plane. Like, my biggest things was I wanted to be an astronaut or a fighter pilot growing up. But by the sixth grade, I was already over six foot. I already met the height requirement for flying a jet and being an astronaut. So that was clearly out of the picture. <laughs> but I went to basketball. That was like my first thing. Hey, you're tall. Go play basketball. Right. So as I transitioned in life. 
I kind of got in the financial field by, you know, coming into a certain circumstances with money and understanding how it worked and then kind of just found myself in the financial field and, and realizing what I really actually like to do and, and how I could help other people. So. Got it. So you played basketball. Was that in high school? Did you go into college? What did that look like for you? All through. So high school, I guess growing up, I kind of just played all three sports. I came from a very small school. So I did football, basketball, track, soccer, summer, you know, kind of league kind of thing. So basketball, I got into more so in my freshman year of high school. Apparently, I was somewhat good. Started my sophomore, freshman, sophomore year playing basketball. So that's how I got into it. After that, I figured out I really liked it. In the summer, I raced motocross. So I raced a lot of dirt bikes. I had a lot of fun with that. And I got hurt in my freshman year. And my dad said, you got to choose what you want to do. Because if you're going to do this, you're going to get hurt a lot. So if you want to play basketball, you have to quit racing motocross. And so I was like, but I like basketball. I was like, all right. So sold all my stuff. I kept a few dirt bikes, of course. I just like to play around. But got rid of all my stuff and it got me in full-time basketball. Through high school, I played football, basketball, and track. I did conditioning for track, football for, you know, just because I like to play football and then basketball. And so sports all year round, basically. And then played through college, you said, as well? Yeah, so I got uh, picked up right out of that. Supposed to go Euro League or Australian League is what it was. Played high-level basketball doing that. Did uh, NIA, pick-up league ball, travel league, D2. Played D2 basketball as well in college. So I was kind of all over the place. Did a bunch of things playing basketball. Unfortunately, I tore my MCL twice and my meniscus and my same knee. So didn't get a lot of playing time. Yeah, it just kind of sucked because I tore my knee up. And I was like, well, what do I do now? Because I spent my whole life playing basketball. What am I supposed to do, right? But yeah, so I played ball at a pretty good high level. I still play. I still have fun. Got it. So I want to jump into financial services stuff here pretty quickly, but I know basketball was such a huge part of your life. Was there anything that you learned from sports that you feel like has helped transfer into what you're doing now? I think sports is one of those things, I think, and you probably know this as well. It's one of those things where if you play at a high level or if you're even in sports, you have a pretty good mental understanding of what success is. So it transfers over to the business world. The mentality is very a transferable skill that you have. So it's all about the mindset is what it taught me is like not to quit, never to give up, hard work, right? Ethics, all those things apply in life. So it really just told me that transfer the whole mindset of never giving up and quitting into what I do now and just keeping that consistency and creating a habit out of you know, maintaining a successful habit and continuing that through your life. And it works a lot with even just working out. Like they trained us from like six or five in the morning and then running a mile and, and conditioning and eating. And it's things we do every day. It's just how do we do them? I think every kid or every person who's ever played sports has that built in. It's just how do we utilize that? How do we make it work for us to make it transferable in life? That's the biggest thing I learned was like the mindset's everything. For sure. Okay, so growing up, you wanted to be an astronaut or a fighter pilot, but you said there was some kind of circumstances that ended up starting to teach you about money and got you thinking about money. How did that come to play? When I'm telling you stories, you're going to think I lived like three lifetimes. <laughs> After my basketball career was over, essentially, and I didn't know what I want to do with my life, I had a very defining moment. And it's kind of embarrassing to say, moved back in with my parents and I got into alcohol. So alcohol was very you know, dark place. My dad's an alcoholic. A lot of people in our family were alcoholics. Some had some drug abuse. I fell into 
alcohol. I was in a town that you know had a state prison and it was like drug central essentially. So it was very easy to get alcohol and, and live in those means. So after that, I kind of moved back home. I ended up hanging out and partying with a bunch of high school kids, which is not good in the first place, right? Do it. My dad said nothing ever happens good after midnight, right? But I got to a place where I was drinking, buying alcohol, and I was buying alcohol for these underage kids, hosting the house parties, buying alcohol. And it was one morning I'd woke up, and you know those big flat screen TVs, the big 65-inch ones? They call them the projection screens, but they're really huge. They weigh like 300 pounds, just massive TVs. I remember one morning getting up, and the lady I was with at the time had just left. And I remember it was like 11 o'clock in the morning, and I was hungover. And I sat down, cracked up another beer, because that's what you do when you drink, right? And I saw this big TV screen. And it was like a big black hole that I could just see. It was like looking, seeing my reflection of my life. And I had this epiphany, like, what, what am I doing? Like, this is not me. This is not where I belong. And so to this day, I'm like, that TV saved my life. It showed me a reflection of somebody who I wasn't. And then I was just like throwing my life away. And so from there, it just changed my life. I mean, changed my own mentality. I wouldn't say it changed my life, but it did change my life in a sense of the direction I was going. So from there, I went to work, got a job in the oil field. And the oil field, that taught me a lot about money because I made a lot of money quick. But also, it, it taught me I can't work forever. That if I did this rest of my life, I was going to eventually die doing this. At some point, you know, I'd be dying old. What got me into money was the fact that I almost died about four or five years ago. That's about five years ago now. There was an accident in the oil field. I was depressurizing a, a setting tool that was in a wireline service. So if anyone hears this in the oil field and knows this, but they'll know what a Baker 20 setting tool is. Well, they broke down this tool. It goes down the hole. It sets off an explosive in this chamber. It captures all this air. And they have a, a bleeder hole about the side of a pin, pencil tip. And if they don't bleed it off right, it blows out that hole. So I came over to help this guy bleed down this tool, break it down. Well, the first thing you do when you get this tool on the ground is you bleed it off before you take apart anything. Well, he didn't do that. So I came over and started cranking away on the tool and it went off in my face. Hit me in the right side of my face, threw me back four feet. If you play Call of Duty, you understand what a flash grenade is or a stun, stun grenade, like it rings, right? Knocks, kind of knocks you unconscious. So when it hit me, I had no idea what had happened. It hit me so hard so fast that I was like, boom, knocked me out. I woke up and it was like ringing. I was kind of disoriented. I couldn't feel my face. I had a blast shield on, glasses, hard hat, so thank God for PPE. But there was 22,000 pounds of pressure in that cylinder that hit me within a foot of my face. And so, I mean, it didn't didn't kill me, but you know how guys are, right? Oh, I didn't die, I'm good, right? So I called my wife, hey, this happened, I'm fine. And she told me, I'm done. I'm no longer gonna work in the oil field. Like, we just had, we have kids, young kids. She couldn't afford to lose me, so I had to figure something out. She said, I don't care what you do. You can go work at Walmart, work two jobs. I don't care what it is, but you're not working in the oil field anymore. So that taught me a lot. Maybe kind of an eye-opening kind of thing. Like, oh, man, you're right. Like, if I die, my family's kind of, you know, kind of screwed. Why would I do that to my family? So I need to get some things figured out. And this is where the financial story kind of comes in. Hey, I need to talk to a guy about getting life insurance. Cool, great. Yeah, talk to this guy. He'll buddy. He'll take care of you. So I sat down with this guy shares this whole story with me, how, how everything works, right? Shows me how the lifestyle investment strategies worked for my life versus just having life insurance. And he opened up this whole world of money to me that I had no idea even existed. Like how it works, how it compounds, where to put it, what to do with it, how to leverage it, all these things. And it just blew my mind. I was like, I've never learned this before. I make all this money and I've never learned this. And so he's like, 
Well, they, of course they don't. Why would they? Why would they teach you that stuff in school? They don't want you to learn the stuff in school. They want you to go to school, get good grades, get a good job, and then someday retire, because you're an asset to the government. So why would they teach you this? I was like, wow, that's a that's a great point. That's where I learned really where I started that transition. So a series of events, right, from alcohol to getting the oil filled to an accident happening, is what really got me into into finance world, understanding money. And to me, it never sounded like it was that exciting. But now that I know about money. That's all I teach people is about money, how it works, how it can work for them, and how they can have a lifestyle that they've only dreamed of. So that's, I guess, in transition how I got there. (laughs) Wow. Well, two key moments there. Obviously, the first one you talked about, it was actually seeing yourself and realizing this isn't actually the life that I want. And I think a lot of people stay in that place where they're not even noticing where they're at. They're just kind of going farther and farther and farther down a path without ever really looking up and saying, am I on the right path? Is this really what I want? What would you say to, let's say we have a listener out there who their life looks so different than what they want it to be. Maybe they're in that place. Maybe they're struggling with alcohol or they're in a, in a relationship that isn't serving them. I mean, what would you say to somebody that's in that same place that you were in? Well, for me, that was kind of like a defining moment. And awareness is a big part of everything we go through, right? The thing is, people know what they're doing when they're not doing something right that doesn't feel right. And I knew that myself. It took a moment of time where I was like, I can't do this anymore. I wouldn't say it was hitting rock bottom, but it was to a point where like, I'm better than this. I know I am. And it just showed me like, sometimes you have to look at yourself in the mirror. You just have to. You have to accept what's happening. You have to be aware of it, which most people are. They just don't want to accept it. That's the difference. So if you're if they're in that spot and they're in a point where like they know they could be doing better, then you have to make a choice to change. Like things aren't just gonna change, right? It's like that saying that people say, like, we can pray and pray and pray and and hope that God's just gonna help us, but God doesn't help those who don't help themselves. Right? You have to be able to take action and push forward to what you're doing in your life to make a momentum move. I would I couldn't just sit there on the couch and be like, well, tomorrow's another day. And just taking, hopefully, maybe God will pull me out of this hole and not do anything about it. Like, we're all aware. Now we have to take actions of it. So if someone's in that space, the first thing I would do is change who I was hanging around. Environment is huge. You are a product of the five people you hang around. So if you're around a bunch of alcohols and druggies, you're most likely going to be the sixth one. So I just changed my environment. I put myself in a better state. I started working in a better state. Now, granted, oil-filled guys, and I'm just not in general. It's not the best environment either, but it was better than where I was at. I wasn't drinking all the time. I wasn't hanging out with the same people. I was actually making more money and doing something better with my life, upgrading my lifestyle. So I guess that'd be the first thing I do is if you're an alcoholic, first off, get help. Talk to someone. Involve yourself with someone who's doing better than you and attach yourself to their coattails so that you can get out of that space. And then there's that point where, Caleb, maybe I don't know anybody who has that kind of lifestyle, right? Well, social media is huge these days, right? Reach out to someone, start talking to someone, Befriend someone who has a lifestyle that you want and start moving in that direction. It's small steps. Yes. Awareness and changing your environment. So huge when it comes to changing who we are. I love your life. This is such a perfect transition because it's like you went from rock bottom to kind of, I don't know, middle class is, is right row, but it's like you had the family, you had the kids, you had the money coming in, like everything was good. 
but it seems like there was this transition into, no, okay, I'm not just reaching for my whole life to kind of be average. I want to actually step into something of financial freedom. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about somebody that maybe they're making somewhere between 50K to 200K a year. Maybe they feel pretty good about their life. Why do they need to change? What are some of the reasons that they should be looking into other ways to get financially free as opposed to just kind of climbing that ladder or retiring at a certain age? There's two sides of the spectrum there, right? Like you can climb that ladder if that's what you do and that's what you're passionate about. Some people love what they do, but if you don't, then there has to be a change, right? There's nothing wrong with making $50,000 a year and there's nothing wrong with making a million dollars a year. It's becoming a product of what we put out there and being good steward of our money. So if you can live off $50,000 a year and you're happy, great. But what happens if you're not the only one depending on that 50 grand a year? What if you could give your kids a lifestyle that you've only dreamed of, but you settled for happy instead of great? You could have had that lifestyle. So what's stopping someone from moving forward it could be anything. It could be their why. It could be their reasoning for life. It could be anything, right? There's nothing wrong with at 50 or a million dollars a year. So if I'm someone who's at 50 and I'm not happy, say I'm in a dead-end job, right? Then I would be looking at other ways of, first off, making money, replacing my income, getting me out of a job that I hated. Sometimes you have to do what you don't want to do as fast as you can, so you can live the rest of your life doing what you can, what you want, right? Okay. So step one, say somebody's working a construction job, they're doing it just for the money. They have no you know, desire to be in construction. They're making 50K a year. You would say step one is find a different job that pays them more? Essentially, they can do that. People scale themselves all the time, find a job that pays them more. But if the, what they're looking for is time, maybe they were like me in the oil field who was working 80, 100 hours a week. Like, did I enjoy doing that? No, but I make good money rest. So I didn't know anything else. It took an accident for me to almost lose my face to realize there was something else out there. Otherwise, I would have just kept working because all I knew how to do. I couldn't play basketball anymore, right? I, I had an associate's degree. So what else was I going to do? I had no idea what else to do. And I think a lot of people are out there just, they settle. Like, I make good money and I'm blessed, so I should stay here. I think being blessed is different than being than being grateful for what you have, yes. But being blessed is different than going out there and getting what you deserve and what your true defined purpose is. Maybe God didn't make you just to go work a dead-end job and be unhappy all the time and just support whatever you have. Pay bills, paycheck to paycheck. I don't think God has that for anybody. So if you're there, you're not happy. It's Again, social media is huge. Like, Go out there and find something to do to make extra money in the time that it took me four years, almost almost four years to replace my income doing it part-time. I worked 80 to 100 hours a week in the oil field and I worked part-time in the financial services industry to work myself out of it. So how do people stop trading time for money? How do you start leveraging money so you can start buying back some of your time? Leverage, you said it, leverage, right? And in the beginning, it's always going to be trading time for money. It's always going to be that. There's got to be and I don't like saying a sacrifice, but it's got to be an investment for a certain period of time where then the effort you then put in is now going to take over and continue to pay you, right? I like to say residual income. It comes in monthly whether you work or not, but you have to put in the time. You still have to put in the work. It's a compound amount of effort of time that will then pay you the rest of your life. So if you're not leveraging, right, whether it be marketing or a business model that's paying you or some type of sales business, sales job, Sales is the best industry to be in, but if you're not doing those things, then you're, you're basically just going to up trading time for money the rest of your life. And there's, you know, basically two things my mentor always told me. One, if you keep trading time for money, you'll work until the day you die. Two, you got to figure out how to make money work for you or you'll run out. You'll run out of money.
right? So money has to be working for you all the time, even after you make it. So if you work hard for money, you might as well put it to work for you and make it work, make you more money. Because there's going to come a point to where you can no longer work for your money and your money has to work for you. So that was like, an, like huge for me. I was like, wow, blow up my mind. Yeah. <laughs> Right. So that was kind of high level specifically. I mean, you referred to yourself as a, or I introduced you as a lifestyle investor. So let's get a little bit more specific here. How can people start making their money work for them? Or what have you seen with, with some of the clients that you work with? How have you been able to help them specifically? That depends on the client, right? Like the person, depending on what they have, where they're at, where they want to get to. So it's not a, just a one size fits all. So when, I, when I'm sitting down with my clients, I'm not the traditional person. I'm not like, and I'm going to throw a few names out there, but Edward Jones, right? I'm not going to go to New York Life. I'm not going to do these typical financial advisors because their product base is this. Let's sell you this. Let's get you there. And those things aren't always bad, but they're not always customized to the clients. Like if I was someone who's in real estate, right? Let's take that for example, who, is, who needs cash flowing money. What's the biggest problem with real estate people have? Taxes. They have a lot of taxes. They, they flow a lot of money. They have a lot of income, commission checks, 80, 60, 120 grand. What, and those are big commission checks. Well, the government wants their tax. They want their tax money on that. So how do I keep a person cash flowing and set up a strategy where they can still utilize cash without paying taxes on it, right? If it's, it's cash flowing tax. So how do I set up in a tax minimization strategy that's allowing them to do that? And yes, they're going to pay taxes to a certain extent, but how do they keep using tax-free money to keep growing tax-free money consistently for the rest of their life that they can utilize whenever and however they want. That's one example, right? So I would set up a strategy, plan with them and gather some information, design and customize a plan that fits their needs, their qualified plans most of the time. If you're someone who, who has a nine to five job, right? Maybe is afraid that they don't have enough for retirement, but they like what they do. Okay, so your only two options is make more money, which means you have to get a second job or get promoted, which you have to wait for someone to quit, die or get fired, right? Who wants to do that? fight for positions, right? Or hopefully that they have a retirement plan that's that's yielding them a good income return that doesn't get taxed as much. Maybe they have a Roth IRA or something that's that they're leveraging, right, to do those type of things. And then what happens if they make too much money? You can only make $129,000 a year before you're disqualified for a Roth. So what happens if they're maxing out their plan? They're putting too much into their Roth IRA, they're maxing it out. Then what? What if they don't have enough money then? So, right? Then I customize a plan and say, hey, you need a gap retirement. You need something that's going to fill that gap. So when you do retire, you have a tax now, a tax later, and a tax neighbor category, and there's no money there. How are you going to use that tax money now, later, to fund your tax never now bucket? Because what's going to happen with our taxes and in, in when we go in the future? They're going to go up. They're going to continue to go up. So as you accumulate more money in the in the future, your hundred thousand turns into one point five or two million. The government loves that. They want to tax you on two point five million instead of a hundred thousand. So you're going to be taxed at a higher rate when you're older. So the point is, if you're working a nine to five job or you're working, you know, an entrepreneur or want to put money away or real estate or whatever it is you work in, there's a lot of different customized strategies you can do, whether it fits the middle, the middle part of retirement, of gap retirement or having retirement or putting money away for your kids. There's a lot of customized strategies you can do. I can literally change someone's life for $7 a day. Literally, if you're in your 30s, 40s, I can change your life for $7 a day. It's being a good steward of that money. Where are we putting the money? And for anyone out there who's like, well, where do I put it? What do I do with it? Well, there's only three ways you can grow your money, right? The first is how much money can we put? How much money can we throw at something, right? So a thousand bucks, 500 bucks, whatever it is, okay? How much money can we use? So and the second one is interest rate. How quickly is that money we're throwing at it gonna grow? 
right? And then the last one is time. Time, money, compound interest. How long do we have that money to work for us at a certain interest rate at a certain dollar amount? That's literally the only three ways you can grow money. You can look at it however you want, whether it's in a house or real estate, it's growing at a certain percent interest rate, right? Due to the market, it's value. How much money you have in the house, you're throwing money to house, right? And how long are you holding that house for? So it all works the same way. It's just how are we utilizing them and are, are we using them all three together? Or where are we starting? And how are we leveraging in the future? For me to customize something for somebody, it, it really comes down to what they want out of their life. How do they want to use it? And what habits do we have to correct for them to continue moving forward into, that, into the, what they want in life? I know a lot of people I talk to, maybe they are an entrepreneur, they're just launching a business and money is really tight. So they are, you know, absolutely everything they have is going to taking care of their family, their kids and whatnot. They don't feel like they don't have much set aside to work for them. How does someone even get started when they feel like they're just keeping their head above water in terms of paying their bills? <laughs> it's funny you, you, you asked that because I've been there. I've been there. And for a lot of people who don't have money, they're worried about paying their bills, staying above water because they don't want to be late on a bill. But I always tell the story, for instance, if I had real estate and say I owned a home and I paid on that home and I paid my paycheck to paycheck for like 5, 10, 15 years and I always made just enough to pay the bills. And then something like a pandemic happens, right? Can't pay the house. I lose my house. And I say, hey, I call the bank and I'm like, I've, I've paid on this thing for 15 years, 20 years. In fact, I've paid more. I've paid on my mortgage all the time. The bank's still going to take that house back. Whether you've paid more on it, whether you paid into it or not, they want their property back. You can't pay on it, so they want it back. So you can't get anything back out of the house, right? You can't sell it. You miss a payment. You can't refinance. You don't have a job. So it's like that. I'm doing that. But if I pay myself first, if I just take a little bit of my income that's coming in and I pay myself first and then I pay my bills, then I'll, I'll always take care of me first. So I could, I could lose everything and I could turn around and I have a cash savings. I have money on hand that I could turn around buy a new car, put a down payment on the house. You know, if you don't have that much money, it's you, you have money to start over. But if you give it all away first without taking care of yourself, and that's where I think a lot of us mess up, is they take care of everybody else first and not themselves. So they lose everything and then they're back to square one or ground zero and they wonder where they went wrong when they weren't a good steward of their money. They should be paying themselves first. We do it backwards. Everyone takes care of the bills and then whatever's left over, then they save when they should be paying themselves first and then rest the bills. Yeah, and so often, we, I know we talk about this in the King's Council that can sound selfish to say, well, hey, take care of yourself, but it is that whole put the oxygen mask on yourself first before trying to put it on your kid, you know, where if you try to put it on your kid and, and something's going wrong there, and then you pass out, it doesn't help you or the kid. Same with our, our physical health or all those different things. Uh, and for many of us that have families, you know, kind of paying yourself first is a protection for the people that are depending on you. If we're always, you know, putting ourselves last in our health or in our finances, essentially we end up letting down the people around us. We'll probably wrap up here, but is there one financial tool or strategy that you find? I know you customize things for different people, but is there one tool or strategy that you find is golden? It's, it's one of your favorites. I would say tools or books are huge. Like I can, I can refer or send out books to anyone who has like just knowledge based stuff, where to start, how to start investing, basic money concepts. It's super simple to read. Like it's literally a Pictionary, like how to get started, where to start, what, what do we need to start with? And then from there I can customize plans and do things for them. But I would say S&P 500 index, those are huge. 
right? Ask Warren Buffett about that. Ask him about his $80 billion, how he got that. Index fund, S&P 500, right? Always invest in the index. <laughs> That's where we get starting point. So books, anything to do with compound interest money, tax mitigation strategies. So what I hear you saying is, is you got to start learning money. You have to understand how these things work so that you can kind of start to, to take responsibility for, for stewarding the, the things that God has put before you. Absolutely. Learn the money game. Learn the money game. That's the biggest thing. You got to learn the money game. Excellent. Excellent. So if somebody has been connecting with your story or even financially, they feel like I would love to work with you. What's the best way for someone to connect with you? Obviously, I have an Instagram account, which is good. I've been working on that lately, so that's, I got to get that boosted up. But I would say you can contact my number, get a hold of me directly. I have an email address as well. If you want to put that down or write that down or I can give it out now, that works as well. Yeah, go ahead and give out your Instagram as well as your email. B.Abbott2120 at Gmail. It's pretty standard for now. And where can people find you on Instagram? What's your, your handle? You can find me on Facebook as well. Instagram, Brad Abbott underscore CEO. Perfect. That works. So if they have any questions, they want to reach out to me, or just want to relate to my story or ask you questions, I'm always open for that. I even have a what I call a discovery call. So get a hold of me, get a hold of my number, uh, reach out to me on Instagram, whatever that looks like to you. And then I'd be more than happy to have a conversation with anyone. Love it. Well, Brad, it has been an honor and a privilege to get some time with you today. Thank you for being on this episode. Yeah, absolutely, man. I appreciate you reaching out. It's been a pleasure you know, spending time with you and getting to go through the process. Love it. And to you listeners, thank you for listening to another episode of The Chosen Podcast. Again, I'm your host, Caleb Spittler, and we will catch you on the next episode. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of The Chosen Podcast, powered by The King's Council. If you loved what you heard, give us a follow and a five-star review on Spotify and Apple Podcast. You can also watch this podcast and much more on our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash King's Council Coaching.